Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me is a man that I know can fake sing better than Mariah Carey. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. And all all of our listeners, you're giving me emotions deeper than I ever dreamed of. And I'm very pleased to announce that today, in the garage, we have a very special guest helping us with this episode, the great Mariah Carey. And to make her feel more at home... We have turned off her mic. Today, Captain, we are drinking Redacted Rye IPA by Renegade Brewing Company in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. Redacted is a rye IPA that is loaded with rye. Something here is a rye. <laughs> this renegade this is Renegade's flagship beer. I'm glad you're cracking yourself up today. It was a joke that I forgot that I wrote. <laughs> uh, this renegade this is Renegade's Still flagship funny. beer. It has citrusy hops and spicy mm. rye, which is a fantastic combo, and redacted is truly one of a kind. And this week's beer is brought to us by these truly one of a kind garage gr- goers. We have first we have a big shout out to Larry and Renee from Denver. Captain, I am friends with Larry and Renee on Untapped, and they are loyal listeners, and they both work for breweries, so I want you to play extra nice with Larry and Renee. So a big shout out to them, and thank you for the beer, guys. Like your gym. Next up, we have Rob Mack in Alberta, Canada. We also have Al from Waukee, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Roger the Kitty Cat from California. <laughs> and we'll stay in Cali and say hi to Leslie in San Diego and Edna in L.A. And last but not least, we have Jennifer from Luxembourg, Wisconsin. Jennifer says, try some spotted cow and please, please Mm -hmm. do a Wisconsin case. Yes and yes, Jennifer, we will do both. Well, Jennifer, spotted cow. Yeah, and I I tell you what, Jennifer, you're actually in for a little bit of luck here today. While today's case does take place in Minnesota, 
there is a piece of this case that will take us to Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. thank you to everybody for chipping into this week's beer fund. And if you want to buy us a round for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And like always, we like your chip. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Untapped. Big shout out to and thank you to Aurelia for doing the uh, helping us with the Facebook stuff. And a big happy new year to everybody. We like your gym. All right, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. Sunday night, 9 o'clock. Did you know where your kids were? In St. Joseph, Minnesota, the Wetterling family thought they did. But their 11-year-old son, on his way back from a nearby convenience store, was abducted by a masked gunman. For four days, a massive search has been underway. Tonight, our David Lee Miller reports on that terrible crime that has brought terror to the country's heartland. St. Joseph, Minnesota is the type of town where folks don't bother to lock the front door. A two-hour drive north of Minneapolis-St. Paul, here, the police chief doesn't even carry a gun. But now, everything is different. Sunday night, just outside of town, 11-year-old Jacob Wetterling was abducted by a masked man with a gun. It is a crime that will forever change this community one that has terrorized Jacob's parents. This shouldn't happen anywhere. It's the type of, it, it shouldn't happen anywhere. All I could think of was who, who would take a child away from their parents? Like, I couldn't fathom it. It was total shock, total disbelief. Even uh, in, in talking with the uh, sheriff's department here, uh, it's, it's, uh, they seem to be as, almost as, as, amazed, as amazed as we are. We've taught him that people are good. We've worked for peace all our lives, and this is a real violent act. I don't understand it. He's bright. He's got a real clever sense of humor and quick mind. He's very, um, he's, he plays goalie. He's, he's cool under pressure. He's, all these things give me hope that if there's an opportunity, this boy will be home. He's a survivor. He's a survivor. Jacob's disappearance is especially shocking because he was with his 10-year-old brother, Trevor, and an 11-year-old friend, Aaron Larson, when the abduction took place. According to the boys, they had just leased a videotape from this convenience store and were walking their bicycles down this road when suddenly a masked gunman appeared out of nowhere. We were coming down this road here and we were just talking and everything and then this guy he just came out and he had a gun and it didn't, and it didn't it, I thought it was some kid pulling a prank on us or something and then he but it wasn't and then he told he looked at Trevor and he told Trevor to turn off his flashlight and then he told us he had a gun and he told us to turn around and go over into this ditch and put our bikes in there and lay down and then he came over and he he um 
asked us all our ages, and then he he told Trevor to run as fast as he could into the woods or else he'd shoot. Then he looked at me, and then he grabbed Jacob, and he told me to run as fast as I could into the woods or he'd shoot. What did this man look like? Well, he was wearing, he was all in black. He had a mask on. And you couldn't see his face? Uh-uh. Yeah, he, he had a nylon mask or some kind of mask. Did Jacob say anything to the man? Uh-uh. Just, just his age. When you ran, did you look back? Yeah, once we got way down there. What and did you see? Nothing. No, he wasn't there anymore. Here at the County Communication Center, authorities have received more than 300 tips. And while so far nothing has panned out, they continue to be optimistic. Jacob will soon return home. An awful lot just depends on the type of person that we're dealing with that, uh, that abducted the boy. Uh, some of them keep him around for quite a while, some of them don't. Uh, so we're hoping that this type of person is going to uh, keep Jacob alive and uh, somewhere along the line that he's going to get a chance to get to a telephone or get away from him. Despite a massive effort in the air and on the ground, police have few clues and don't even know what type of car Jacob's abductor used to flee the scene. Residents are understandably terrified and say children here in St. Joseph have lost a part of their youth. I know my little boy, he's five, and he won't go outside. Yesterday, he didn't want to go out and play, and he was up last night, and it's, you know, it's scary for the kids. Anybody, really. The Sheriff's Department, meanwhile, has established this command center to coordinate assistance from state investigators and the FBI. But despite all the manpower, authorities do not know why the boy was taken. So far, there has not been a demand for ransom, and the family has never received any type of threat. Dr. Wetterling is a chiropractor in town, who in this predominantly white, middle-class community heads up the local chapter of the NAACP. They are kind, gentle, caring people who want nothing more than the return of their son. Can you think of any reason anyone would want to harm your family or your son? say that we really want Jacob back for Jacob's sake for our sake and for everyone's sake please give him back to us there are so many people praying that if I were God I would bring Jacob home safely very soon tonight the Wetterlings are asking for your help in locating Jacob in a moment we'll give out a special phone number but first here's the FBI profile of Jacob's abductor they believe he's a white male between 25 and 35 years of age and may have attempted a similar but unsuccessful abduction in the recent past. Anyone who may have any information about Jacob's abduction is asked to call the Sheriff's Department Task Force at 612-259-3981. There is a $25,000 reward for information leading to his safe return. All tips will be kept confidential and you can call collect. Once again, the number 612-259-3981. Maury, I hope this is one story that's going to have a happy ending.
back in August, we covered the case of Joshua Guimond. Now, it's not absolutely necessary to listen to that episode before this one, Mm -hmm. but if you haven't already, you might want to check that out. That's episode number 47. Anyway, the disappearance of Joshua and the disappearance of Jacob Wetterling, and because of the close proximity to one another, and some had suspected that maybe the two disappearances were connected. So when we covered the Joshua Guimond case, we received a lot of requests to cover the Jacob Wetterling case. Most of the time, our cases are mapped out you know, well in advance, so we didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after this, there were all kinds of developments in the Jacob case. Now, Jacob's case never ever really left the news. It is arguably one of the most famous child abduction cases ever. So now there is this really big case. And it's really heating up in the news again. So I thought with it being in the news that much that everybody would not be interested in us covering it. But then in late October, we covered the Johnny Gosh case. This is an abduction. Uh, The boy was never seen again. Young teenage boy that was abducted. And in this case, we made reference to the Jacob Wetterling case. And once again, we received a lot of feedback from the True Crime Garage Army, again, with requests for us to cover this case. So here we are, Captain, covering the Jacob Wetterling case. Mm -hmm. I'm here, too. So today's case takes us to St. Joseph, Minnesota. Uh, And this is back in October 22nd, 1989, Mm -hmm. which is a Sunday evening. Jerry and Patty Wetterling are out at a dinner party, about 25 to 30-minute drive from their home. At home is their 11-year-old son, Jacob Wetterling, his 10-year-old brother, Trevor, their eight-year-old sister, Carmen, and their friend, Aaron Larson, who is 11 years of age as well. This case really takes me back, though. I, you know, I hate to date myself here, Captain, but <laughs> but Jacob is pretty close in age to you and I. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Cap- now you're dating me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, Captain, he was a little older than us, but we, like Jacob, his siblings, mm-hmm. and his friend, Aaron, were all children of the 80s. I, I love the 80s. I mean... I was so young back then that everything seems very innocent looking back now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, remember when your parents would go out and they would leave you home alone or even where there is someone there to watch you, a babysitter or maybe a relative, parents left a phone number. Mm -hmm. They would write it down on a piece of paper and leave it on the countertop or by the phone and say, this is where we will be. This is the number for the restaurant, or this is the phone number for our friend's house. Yeah. If you need anything, call us at this number. You know, And then you would also get the list of rules read to you, You know, like uh, you are not to leave the house, no fighting with your brother or sister, no food mm-hmm. on the nice furniture. Mm-hmm. Don't well, wear underwear on your head. <laughs> well, this is exactly what Jerry and Patty Wetterling did before they went out to their dinner party. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, the kids come up with a great idea And so they are going to call and ask mom and dad if they could go out for a bit. Their friend Aaron is going to stay the night that night. There was to be no school the next day. So they called because they want to go to the Tom Thumb store down the street. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you too young to know this, back in the day, grocery stores and convenience stores did the greatest thing. Some of them would rent movies or even video games. And of course, this portion of the store is always the danger zone for parents because there's no way you're going to walk through that aisle without uh, the child begging to take home a movie or a video game. Yeah. I mean, this is time before cell phones and being able to access anything at your fingertips. So Trevor, 
calls the dinner party, interrupts the dinner party, and he asks to speak with his mother. And the, he's going the 10 year old. To, yeah, he's going to ask if they can go down to the Tom, Tom Thumb store mm-hmm. to pick up a movie. Now, the mom says no. Patty says no. It's too late. It's, it's after dark. Um, this is not a trip that you should be making after dark. And, uh, you know, Trevor says, well, let me speak to dad. You know, the, the old, uh, everybody's done that bit. Right, right. And, uh, I think my household dad was always a little easier to get to say yes than mom. So I can certainly identify with Trevor here. He talks to his father and, um, Jerry agrees to let the boys go to the Tom Thumb store. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be more concerned about it being dark rather than anything nefarious happening to them uh but uh so they they equip themselves with um you know bright clothing and uh, a flashlight and they've already mapped out the perfect plan they have their sister at home their little sister who does not want to go to the store with them and probably you know the older boys don't want the little sister tagging along anyway so they've already made arrangements to have their neighbor uh, girl, her name is Rochelle. She's 14 years old. She's going to come over and babysit their little sister Carmen while they will head down to the store to retrieve their movie. So the three boys set out for the Tom Thumb store. Two of them on bikes and one on a scooter. This is just before 9 p.m., so it's dark out, and this is a country road, so no street lights. Probably the only lights you're going to see would be those from the houses, you know, the house lights and lights near the Tom Thumb store. I wonder if the older boys made the little kid do the scooter. Uh, I I think Trevor may have been on the scooter, yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's like... Low man on the totem pole gets the scooter. Yeah, you're lucky to be hanging out with us. Yeah, so uh, they go to the store. They rent a movie, The Naked Gun. um, and Mm, Good movie. They are returning for home, and this is right around 9.15 p.m. When they are startled, when they see a man, this man, he is dressed in dark clothing and he has some, some kind of face mask or, or something over his covering his face. And he is armed with a handgun and he kind of just pops up and appears out of nowhere. They're not really for sure where this man came from. The man tells the boys to stop. He then tells Trevor to turn off the flashlight that he is carrying. He has the boys push the bikes and the scooter in the roadside ditch. He tells them to lie down, face down, in the ditch. He asks Trevor his age, to which Trevor replies 10. The man then asks Aaron his age. Aaron says 11. And then he asks Jacob his age, and Jacob says 11. He tells Trevor to get up and run to the woods, but don't look back or he's going to shoot. Then he kind of lifts up each of the two remaining boys' heads one at a time to get a look at their faces. He grabs Aaron's crotch and then tells Aaron to run to the woods and don't look back or I'll shoot. Then the man grabs Jacob by the arm, lifting him up a bit and drags him away. And the, now, yeah, and the sexual assault onto Aaron was not reported originally. Yeah, and what, so now the two, the two boys have run to the woods and Aaron will eventually catch up to uh, the younger boy, Trevor. Mm-hmm. And by this time, the boys are in the woods and they look back, but they they don't see the man. And more importantly to them, their brother, their friend, Jacob, is gone as well. And this is just gone without a trace. They don't see, they don't see anything. Yeah, they don't see a vehicle. By this point, the boys are only a couple blocks from their home, from the Wetterling home. As I understand it to be, this is a simple trip. It's really just like one country road and, you know, a turn here or there. 
the Wetterling House down to the Tom Thumb store is pretty much a straight shot. So Trevor and Aaron, they run to the Wetterling House. Once there, they tell the babysitter, Rochelle, what just happened. And she calls her father. Then the the father calls 911, mm-hmm. and he even puts Trevor on the phone to tell his account of what had just happened. The babysitter's father then calls Jerry and Patty Wetterling and tells them that two of the boys came home, and Jacob has been taken and is still not home, and he has notified the police. The Wetterlings, of course, leave the dinner party immediately. Now, we said that a 911 call was placed, and the receiving on the receiving end of this call is the Steerns County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, by and, the babysitter's dad, Merle. Correct. And the Sheriff's Department is on the scene within mm-hmm. minutes. This is all happening very, very quickly. The report comes in quickly. The Sheriff's Department responds very quickly. The Sheriff's Department, they arrive, and they see the bikes in the ditch, and they start searching the area for Jacob. They search the woods as well. And they're searching that night, and in the early morning hours, this is like around 3 a.m., they decide to call off the search. You know, they are searching in the dark, Mm -hmm. um, in in a very dark location, and hunting for clues. You know, if they can't immediately find the boy, at some point you wonder how much you're trampling over the crime scene, if you're losing any evidence, Mm -hmm. or if you're going to cause damage to, to any potential evidence. So they start searching again around 8 a.m. This is a full-on search deal here. We, we have you know a helicopter, ATVs, bloodhounds. The dogs track Jacob's scent to a gravel road. Mm-hmm. At this same spot, there are fresh shoe prints and tire tracks. So now we have the possibility of a car used in the abduction. Now we are going to do a dragnet here. This is when you start checking with anyone you can think of that could be involved in a particular crime and interview them to see where they were at the time of the crime was committed as well as what they were doing or if there was anyone with them that could back up their story. So if you have a burglary, you're going to interview all suspected burglars or persons convicted of breaking and entering. In this case of Jacob Wetterling having been abducted, the sheriff's department, they will set their dragnet for sex offenders and pedophiles. Let's get into that after a quick. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest 
and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash true crime garage 50 and use code true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Beer break. And we're back. Cheers, everybody. So where we left off at, uh, Jacob was abducted. We now have two eyewitness accounts. We have the 911 call place. We have the cops out there. Now we have a search going. And we also have um, the eyewitness accounts and what we're looking for in the suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, think about this for a second. Put this in your mind. You know, we have these young boys, you know, 10, 11 years old, three of them, they're out together they're having you know a great day in every sense of the word up to this point because you know we, we've read and heard about what they were doing that day well one it's a sunday right and they mm-hmm. don't have school the next day right so that's the it's a bonus day off uh also you know your parents are going away and you got your buddy spending the night mm-hmm. so that's a fun thing and then uh and this is not uncommon this is 89 this is not uncommon to be sent off to a grocery store down the street. Um, or, you know, in my neighborhood, we had a, a big bear, um, you know, which is a grocery store that was about uh, less than a mile away. Mm-hmm. And your parents might send you off with 20 bucks to go get some snacks. And then right across uh, the street from the big bear was a movie rental. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't that uncommon to. Uh, send your kid off. Even sometimes it would be a Friday night. You know, this the it was dark, but you know, uh, your parents still seemed okay. Especially if you had numbers. You know, if it wasn't just you. If it was, if I would have said, "Hey, I just want to run to Big Bear and get some snacks," my parents probably wouldn't have let me. But if I had a friend spend the night, or two friends spend the night, or having a friend spend the night with with a uh, with one of my siblings hanging out. They're more likely to say, go, you know, go out there and, and just be back pretty quickly. Yeah, they and they had a great day. They so far, you know, they they had some kind of hockey thing earlier that day. They had watched the uh, Minnesota Vikings football game, pizza for dinner, friends staying the night, yeah. no school the next day. Then this thing happens. This, and and why is this? You know, there are other child abductions that happen. Um, this becomes huge news, though. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because of the severity and how scary the situation is. I mean, we're talking about, first of all, a, a stranger abducting a child is very rare. First of all, you know, we, usually when a, t- a child is taken, it's by somebody that they know or the family knows. Mm-hmm. So we have a stranger abduction here, which is very rare. But then on top of that, like the captain said, this is a witnessed abduction, which is extremely rare. You know, this is this is not a situation where you have, you know, little Timmy didn't come home. He he went out on his own right, and he right. and he didn't come home. Well, he's probably lost, or uh, maybe he he left on his own accord. No, this is two boys saying our brother, our our friend was taken by oh, gunpoint. Right, you know, this right. this is immediate danger, immediate immediately scary and the abduction itself is somewhat sexual in nature as well yeah yeah with the with the friend being grabbed in the in the genital i mean that's uh 
I think, you know, especially in 1989, uh, a lot of the reports were, hey, this boy was taken, and by the way, we have no ransom note. We have nobody calling. Mm -hmm. And and that, it seems to me in the 70s and 80s, the first thought was always, why did they take this kid and was it for ransom? And now we have this situation where we do have a sexual assault at the crime scene. And so now we're assuming, we should assume, that this is not uh, taking a kid hostage for ransom. Mm-hmm. This is this guy is taking this kid for um, sexual acts, mm-hmm. you know. And and so then what what is going through the parents' head at that point? Well, and you think if your kids are good, if your kids are smart, this things this kind of thing's not going to happen. And as as a child, you think you know if you do certain things, these things are not going to happen. We're talking about things like mm-hmm. you know tell your parents where you are, tell your parents what you are doing. They did that. They, they, they made the extra effort to reach out to their parents and ask for permission to go to the store. And they even arranged for a babysitter to come over and watch the younger sibling. You know, that th- sort of thing's not going to happen. And then one thing you touched upon too, strength in numbers. We're always taught strength in numbers. You know, when you go off to a, an amusement park or somewhere mm-hmm. when you're a child, yeah, you might get to go off on your own, but it's always because you have somebody with you. Right. And uh, Or that your parents just don't care much about you. <laughs> and then they just let you off on your own. Yeah. But this yeah. was this was three boys leaving together. They should have returned together, and there should be no reason. You wouldn't expect a child mm. abduction to be witnessed like this. Well, it's not like Jacob made a mistake. No, not no, at all. It wasn't like it wasn't like they're in the you know renting a movie, and and Jacob just happened to strike up a conversation with the wrong guy. You know, it, all three of the boys could have been taken captured. Mm-hmm. You know, and and. And I think it's strange. I mean, like in the account when he says, oh, well, you know, he pulled both of, of he pulled both of us up and looked at our faces. And then it's almost like the, the guy chose, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, and then it's also all by gunpoint. Yeah. And, uh, and if that, and look, there's no reason for me to believe that the story is not true. You know, I, I would say the only thing is if he threw in the, my only question is one, if he threw in the gun, but we got the other account from the brother. So, but sometimes it would be like, well, we couldn't do anything cause he had a gun. Hmm. Uh, but then like maybe also if there's a little fudge in the story, was he actually mask, you know, or, or does he just feel bad? Cause he, did, he can't tell you what the guy looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, chances are his story is correct in, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. So as well. Um, let's back up for a second here because something else happened that night that Jacob was taken. Uh, whomever came up upon the boys, he encountered them on this dark country road. But this is right at the end of a family's driveway. Uh, this is the Rassier family. Uh, but this is a country road, so the driveway is about a quarter of a mile long. And on October 22nd, 1989, Dan Rassier, a grown man in his 30s, He's living with his parents, and he's home alone. Mm-hmm. His parents were away vacationing in Europe. Sometime after the sheriff's department began their search for Jacob, Dan is awakened. It's about 10.45 p.m., and his dog is barking as there is some disturbance at the end of the Rassier driveway. Dan looks out the window, and he sees several flashlights moving about in the darkness near the family's woodpile. And he assumes someone or someones are trying to steal wood from their property. Because he believes that he's outnumbered, Dan calls 911 to report the incident. 
The dispatcher informs Dan that there has been a kidnapping that was recently reported on that road in which he lives, and the lights he is seeing is that of the sheriff's department searching for the boy. Dan then goes to where the sheriffs are and and has a brief conversation with one of the deputies and tells the deputy that he will go look around the area himself and attempt to assist in the search. Now let's go to Monday, October 23rd. We had mentioned that the search picked up where the sheriff's department had left off the previous night, well, early that morning. Uh, And now this is around 8 a.m. on Monday, and the search uh, for Jacob continues, the search for the abducted boy, the search for the abductor. Mm -hmm. This continues. Now on this same day, Dan Rassier, first off, Dan is a music teacher at one of the local schools. Dan is called out of class. And the sheriff's department, they search Dan's car and they question him for about 45 minutes. Um, And this is kind of where this where this ends for Dan on that day. Now, six days later, investigators search the Rassier farm. Dan takes a lie detector test to which he is never told the results of the test, which I don't think is a strange thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have seen in some cases that we've covered, like the West Memphis three, where they immediately tell you, oh, you failed this thing miserably. And that's where they grill you further. My guess is that he probably passed the lie detector test. And that's why they didn't tell him of the results. Um, But but you're probably freaking out at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you're a music teacher. So just even being suspect of this crime could cost you your job cost you your livelihood well and when you're being called out of class you know and you get there and there's a sheriff there you probably assume i'm being interviewed because i live right right by where this took place and had i seen anything this is my opportunity to tell them even though i went down there and spoke to a deputy that night and they didn't seem very interested in talking to me at that point um it could be that the sheriff's department really expected to find The boy that night is what I think. I think they thought maybe they'd find him in the woods or find him nearby. Um, I don't think this is something that they were familiar with or maybe not even have having the capability of dealing with it. Well, and then the music teacher is probably freaking out because he's going, you know, I live with my parents and my parents just happen to be gone the day Mm -hmm. that this kid goes missing. Now my career possibly is in jeopardy. Like we said, I mean, this is 89. It's not like, you know, I think people are more, uh, understanding of that if you knew somebody or you lived in a close proximity, you might be pulled in for questioning. Mm-hmm. I think that's more likely that people understand that nowadays. In 80, 89, they're probably going, this guy kills children or abducts children. Yeah, and it's pretty, but it's pretty obvious to Dan at this point that he has become part of the investigation, whether he likes it or not. And he tries to tell the Stearns County Sheriff's Department that he is innocent. And that he was, he was, yes, he was home alone that night, but he was busy. He was sorting through his extremely large record collection. Uh, and he also tells them that. Well, I th- wonder if he was doing one of those things. Have you seen High Fidelity? Yes. Where he'd like decide, hey, tonight I'm going to reorganize an alphabetical order. And then the next day he'd say, I'm going to reorganize based on when I bought the record. Yeah, and I think I think you might be right there because he he says something like he was filling out uh, index cards or something. He's making some kind of catalog of his extremely right. mm-hmm. large record collection. But you know, he also tells them that he called nine one one that night. That he had placed a call to nine one one that night, and that should prove that he's innocent. Well, that doesn't prove anything. Well, it, but see it from Dan's seat here. This this yeah. is the way he's thinking. 
the investigators tell Dan that the 911 call actually proves the exact opposite, stating that he manufactured the idea that someone was stealing wood from the property as an excuse to call 911, making him look innocent, and that on the call he sounded far too nervous for the real issue to be theft of firewood. Well, he's a music teacher, right? So, I mean, he's he's probably not like a big MMA fighter or something. Mm-hmm. And he's probably he probably was scared. Dan also tells investigators that they should be looking for a vehicle. He had seen a vehicle turning around in his driveway the evening that Jacob was taken. Mm-hmm. Dan is able to give a vague, a very vague description of the car. And because of the distance, he did not get a good look at the driver. Uh, right, because his house is so far back from off the road. Again, you know, if you're the cops, I mean, put yourself in the cops' position. You know, we got this guy that maybe, maybe he's a little funny, um, lives with his parents. He's an older gentleman in his 30s, living with his parents. He's a music teacher. Um, not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but then you make a 911 call saying, hey, guys, somebody was stealing wood possibly. Yeah, or I got people on my property that I don't know who they are with flashlights. Right. And then you're going, hey, uh, well, and then there's a flashlight. The kids were holding a flashlight. So is he just mixing up events? And, and But then he's then telling you, hey, you might want to check out this car that I saw. Well, you didn't mention the car the day before. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you went out and you said, hey, sheriff, by the way, uh, there was this car that I saw earlier. You didn't bring that up the day before. Right. So I think that's why they started zeroing in more on him. My guess is that he probably was not given any information about the the abduction. You know, right. they, they didn't say this is what happened, you know, and it sounds like they didn't even care to talk to him that night. So I, I don't see him going out of his way to say, oh, by the way, I happen to have seen a vehicle turn around in my driveway. Now, I'm sure that he told him that during the 45 minutes of questioning the, right. I mean, on that, that makes, Monday. That makes logical sense to me and you, but I think you got an 11-year-old boy that was taken by gunpoint. These cops have to do everything they can to just pick a direction and mm-hmm. run in it as fast as you can until you hit a brick wall and then pick another direction and then keep running in that direction as well. But I also think that at this point, Dan is not an actual suspect. You know, he's somebody that they're, are, they're interested in talking to him, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that he's any form of a suspect. And then he's mentioning this car, this, and I can't see the driver. Uh, and here's a description of the vehicle. You should be looking for this car because this took place about the same time as what the kid would have been abducted. And, you know, this to me seems like a good enough lead you know, because the sheriff's department found Jacob sent near those fresh tire tracks. Right. And they decided it was most likely that Jace, that Jacob was taken by vehicle, which, which is extremely plausible because that's how these things happen, especially when you're out on this dirt country road, you know, and you know, Jacob should be, if he's not there, then he, he has to have been taken by vehicle or he would be in one of the yeah, well, it seems nearby like, homes. Right. It seems like, you know, and if, individual was driving by saw these three boys saw it as an opportunity or possibly even knew these boys saw them at the video store and then said well i'm gonna on their way back i'm gonna grab one of them parks the vehicle gets out of the vehicle then walks to wherever they are grabs one of the boys they walk back to the vehicle and then they leave by that vehicle Mm -hmm. yeah he ambushes them on their way back 
he's away from his vehicle. Right. And if he's wearing all black and he's has a black, you know, nylon mask of some nature that they didn't even see him come creeping up on them. And it, not only you are, are you exactly right? Because we know the history of this case, right, right. but it, but think about this too. This is, this is a well thought out plan. This, uh, and I, I agree with you. Well, that, I don't know if it's a well thought out plan. Well, I, well, here's what I mean by that. Okay. I, I understand that, that he probably, the assailant probably saw an opportunity right. and took advantage of that opportunity. Mm-hmm. However, there has been some planning done in this. He's he, unless he just happens to be wearing dark clothes Mm -hmm. that he just happens to have a mask or something to cover his face that he just happens to drive around with a gun in his car and that he's got the, the foresight to, to decide, you know what? I'm going to park my car elsewhere. I'm going to put myself someplace else where I can take one of the boys so that the two that I'm leaving behind, they can't, they can't see my vehicle or they don't see my vehicle. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's actually planned. I think this is just part of the guy's lifestyle. This is what he does. He's a, he's a, he abducts children and, 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 and he's been setting his life up, you know, to put himself in those opportunities. And when those opportunities arise, well, I, I got my van or car or whatever I'm driving and I have all my tools um, you know, to abduct these kids in that, in that van. In the coming weeks and months, the sheriff's department and the Wetterlings would continue to go to the media asking for tips and leads or to see if anyone had seen Jacob and the tips I'll, I'll put that in quotation marks. The tips pour in, mm-hmm. uh, people say they have seen Jacob. Um, people call about strange vehicles, strange men. So the police are tracking all of these tips. They even set up a phone with a recording device on it at the Wetterling home so that Jerry and Patty could record the phone calls that are coming in. And then we have the psychics, Captain. Uh, wannabe mm. psychics love missing persons cases. I think you not, and I not have always just want to be psychics. Well, some some legitimate psychics. Yeah, if you believe in that thing, I, I, I do. I'm not I'm not discrediting anybody. Uh, by name here or as a whole. Uh, but I, what I'm saying is I see a lot of, in these cases, I see a lot of wannabe psychics. No, I understand that. But what I, I just want to go on record to state that the majority of detectives I've talked to, they use psychics. And the majority of the detectives that I have talked to said that after they found the body or, you know, one, okay, the recent one, I just, we're talking, drinking coffee. I just said, hey, have you ever used psychics? Yeah, yeah. And every time I do, everybody in the police department makes fun of me. So he went to see one of the psychics. She told him all this stuff. None of it really made sense. Mm -hmm. Then they find the girl. And after he finds the girl, everything that the psychic made sense, everything that she presented made sense after they found the girl. And now everybody in that department doesn't give him shit anymore. Because this lady has been right multiple times. Was was this the skipper that you were talking to, or a different a different detective? Okay, because the the funny thing here is, I thought it was you, a sheriff. It was not a detective. But. Okay, I thought you were referring to the skipper at first, who who we both know, and he's a very skeptical person. He does not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that fair to say he doesn't believe in a whole lot of mysticism or yeah. maybe even spirituality? I don't know, but uh, uh, 
he has told me that that on occasion he's spoken to a psychic, which blew my mind because I thought that he wouldn't take a phone call or put any effort into that at all. But he said from his perspective that he didn't mind talking to psychics because he wanted an outside of the box kind of opinion, or maybe there was something that they hadn't thought of yet, right, a right. possibility that they hadn't thought of. Now, in this particular case, you know, the, the detective, some of them, one in particular said that he did talk to psychics because he wanted to know how did they come to their conclusion? How did they, are they, are they really just holding on to information that they know firsthand rather than something they dreamt or, or believed to have happened? They want to know, is this person actually coming forth with information because they've actually done something bad? Right. Right. And look, I'm not suggesting that people go, you know, uh, speak with a psychic on every little thing. I'm just saying that detectives do use this to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of drum up some different ideas, just like we talked about with the skipper. Now, I, here's the thing, Captain. I think you and I have covered enough of these cases to know that the psychics seem to come out of the woodwork for murder cases, but especially for these disappeared or abducted cases, they they really come at and, and come at the family and come at law enforcement with ideas and thoughts and dreams that they have had. Yeah. Well, and, and, Visions. If, and if you look at the, this, we talked about the Brian Schaefer case and when they had the psychic kids do that case, mm-hmm. one of the things I was freaked out about, and now maybe they do, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know, but when they said that this guy was in this building and then he left the building and came back. And we know that to be factual later. Now, were those kids fed that information? I'm not really for sure. The the host in that particular incident claims that the the children, the psychic kids, knew nothing right, of the right, actual right. incident. They they were taken to a location and told somebody disappeared from this location. Now go right. And so, if you're going to call a psychic to try to get answers on, for your life, I'd say don't do that. Maybe try a therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe have some mentor or counselor. But I, I think there's nothing wrong with uh, using psychics in, in this capacity. But on the other hand, there's been so many psychics, when especially with these YouTube videos, these guys claiming that, oh, I know where this m- missing person is, and it's based off of nothing. And it's just it's so they get a bunch of clicks on their YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And those people are pieces of shit, you know? Yeah, well, I, I will tell you when the world will end, the exact date. And why? And then when it doesn't happen, I'll disappear for a couple of years and give you a new date. Right. (laughs) uh, But so in this particular case, there were a ton of psychics that came out of the woodwork here and presented their thoughts, visions, theories. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were communicating with the parents, with Jerry and Patty Wetterling. Well, and some of that is just wrong, too, because if, if you are a bullshit artist and, you know, maybe some of these people actually think they have visions. You know, but I, I just think some of it is wrong to, uh, you know, give the parents false hope. Exactly. I mean, I would say reach out to the law enforcement. Yeah. You know, don't bother the family. They're right. going and through something here that nobody should have to experience. And getting false hope is really kicking somebody while while they're at their lowest. Right. Now, we said that there was a whole bunch of psychics that, that came forward to law enforcement, to oh, the Wetterlings. Hold on. We just got off on a crazy tangent. Well, Sorry about that. Sorry th- about that. I'm actually leading somewhere with this. I have no. <laughs> okay. So there is one such psychic that came uh, came about 
amongst the sea of psychics that mm-hmm. presented their theories, their thoughts, their visions. Uh, the the Wetterlings had psychics calling the house at all hours. Some even would go to the house to meet the parents of Jacob. Yeah. Some asking for one of Jacob's toys or an article of clothing to better help them channel Jacob or Jacob's spirit. Uh, but one psychic that does go to the home of the Wetterlings is a man in his early 40s from Wisconsin, and his name is Vernon Seats. Uh, Vernon actually visits Patty Wetterling on two occasions. Well, look, when you name your kid Vernon, he, he's going to grow up to be like a librarian or he's going to grow up to be a psychic. Well, he, he visits Patter, Patty Wetterling on two occasions. Uh-huh. And on one of those occasions, uh, one of those visits, he gives her a painting that he had painted of Jacob. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So unfortunately, you and I have heard some of the recorded calls um, Captain, these are all false leads that we know of now. Um, some of them calling the Wetterlings in the middle of the night and saying some, you know, absolutely horrible things, telling Jacob's parents that he has been killed and how he's been killed according to their visions, mm-hmm. or he's alive, but he's being held captive and he's been raped repeatedly. I mean, I don't know how a parent in this type of situation has the strength to go on. I guess the hope that your kid could still be alive and the thought that I better be here doing something and of sound mind so that if he is still alive, I can help somehow, some way. What a helpless feeling though. I mean, it's like, you know, if you, if your kid falls down and then then you can clean up the, the brute, you know, the, the cut and Mm -hmm. you can, and you can comfort them, but, but your kid's just gone, you know? And I, and I couldn't imagine the, the thoughts that were racing through your heads and then, there'd be a part of you that would just want to hit the streets and just start looking and start driving around. And I, I think personally for me, I'd go crazy. It'd be 10 years of me driving around looking for answers. I mean, I think it would just be so horrific. Unfortunately, helpless is the word. I think that's how you feel in this situation. You're, you're helpless. Mm -hmm. Your, your child, your child is injured. You nurse them back to health. If, if they're ill, you nurse them back to health. If they're gone, and taken from you, you yeah. you're, you're helpless. You, there's yeah. nothing you can do. Uh, you feel like there's nothing you can do in the situation. Well, not only the helplessness of the parents, but you know, your little brother was with you. You know I mean? If you're the little brother, your older brother of a year or, or more, um, you know, because one was 10 and one was 11, but I mean, it could, you know, it's like he could be a year and a, a few months older. But it's like, so your your older brother, you, possibly your hero or whatever, he's just been taken from you, mm-hmm. and what? And then you witness all that. Not to mention, hey, lay down in this ditch. Not to mention, run to this woods, or I'm going to shoot you. You're ten years old. I mean, I couldn't even imagine that. <laughs> or on the other side of things, it's your best friend. You're spending the night at your best friend's house, and he. You know, like same thing, you know, and you have to deal with the whole thing. And then you have to deal with this guy grabbing your genitals. You got to deal, you know, this guy stole your best friend away. And then the, the, the stuff that he had to be going through, like now we're searching for my friend and I hope he's found, but this is probably all the kids are talking about in the community. Well, and it's survivor's guilt. Even though right. you don't know the outcome of your friend or brother being taken, you have this survivor's guilt. And it's, it, you know, all these things are probably going through your head that, it, oh, why why was he taken and not me? Right. Or what could I, I have done differently 
at that exact moment to change the the current situation that we're in. You know, maybe should I have not run? Right. Maybe should I have pushed the issue? Maybe should I have looked the man in the face? Um, You know, fought him off. Yeah. All these things. Or tried to. And like you said, it's the it's the brother, you know, feeling guilty, and it's the the best friend, you know. Well, and then you got the parents on the on the idea of the mom said no, mm -hmm. and then you know, and then Trevor went back to the dad. The dad said yes. Yeah, that that absolutely. I mean, this is a heartbreaking story anyway, but that portion of the story breaks my heart every time because you know when people when people are in a situation where they can't control anything. Some people want somebody to blame, and um, the father did absolutely nothing wrong here. There's no reason why this should have happened at all. No. Um, nobody could have foreseen this happening. Well, and nowadays, I mean, this just people just don't let their kids do these things. But you know, we're also raising a bunch of monsters now. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you know, th- that was one of the best parts of my childhood was run, you know, run down to the big bear and pick up some snacks. I'd always get fudge rounds for some reason because I think it was a buck, and then you'd eat like. 20 fudge rounds and drink coca-cola but um you know it's sad that we live in a world that we can't just send you know your 10 and 11 year old kid you know a couple blocks away to to run a movie but but again stranger with child abductions are extremely rare um this isn't something that's happening you know yeah but Right, but also, you know, I I understand what parents are doing, though. Don't run to the store. Don't be by yourself. Don't play outside without anybody watching because now we're not giving anybody an opportunity. And let's face it, man, there's just more sickos today. Well, the, the, you know, this situation, there's nothing that the parents should have done differently. There's nothing that they could have done differently. This is not their fault. They're not at fault here. The the brother's not at fault. Jacob's not at fault. Like I said, right. What could have, what could have Trevor done differently? And you know, you pulled clips to, for our trailer at the beginning of the show and you hear the brother, I assume that's Trevor saying that, no, that's his friend. Is that Aaron saying that, that I thought this is just some like older kid playing a prank on us or something. Yeah. You know, um, the kids didn't even, they're too young to even understand the situation that they're in. Well, and one of the things I thought was interesting, I was watching this YouTube video and it was a report from back in 89 and they were walking the same road with Aaron and Trevor and to see the news anchor right beside them, you realize how small these kids are. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's, um, it's, it's sad that we have these monsters out there. Well, let's fast forward a little bit here, Captain, because Jacob's case, it goes cold in a sense uh, for some time. Uh, It's still in the news, especially locally. Um, The anniversary, you know, that that October 22nd date every year brings the reminders to the public locally and nationally. But it won't be until about 2003 when the sheriff's department get the phone call that they have been waiting on. Mm -hmm. In 2003, a local man contacted the authorities and he's got a story for them. He tells them he was in the area the night that Jacob was abducted. The man had been listening to a police scanner and had heard about the missing boy. And he decided to drive to the scene. He told them that he had got close enough with his car. You know, he's driving in his car. He got close enough that he saw the bikes and the scooter in the ditch. He did speak with a deputy, a deputy that night Asking if if the sheriffs had seen 
or knew about the bikes, and the deputy said yes, they had. Now, are you hip to these police scanners? Um, my grandfather had one growing up, mm-hmm. uh, which I always thought was kind of cool that he he listened to it. Uh, I don't really have any any kind of uh, experience with them. Other I thought than about that. getting one, it might be kind of neat. Chasing ambulances and stuff. No, just you know, just to hear what's going on. Just listening in. You live in a suburb, so I know. It could be like strange Mm -hmm. calls. Um, But, but Captain, this is the phone call that they've been waiting for because Uh this man and his car could possibly account for the vehicle seen by Dan Rassier that night. And And this could account for the fresh tire tracks near the abduction site as well. The man could not be 100%, he couldn't 100% remember the make and the model of the tires that he was driving well, that night. no shit, Sherlock. Well, this uh, is 2003. Well, this, and this is my problem with the whole thing. So you come out <laughs> how many years later? Uh, well, 14 about years 14 later? years later, yeah. Well, you, uh, you come out 14 years later and you go, hey, guys, I got a story to tell you. Really? Well, no, well, let, you want you want a little more background on? Yeah, this? I want to know why it took him fourteen years. Why he was like, oh, I've been busy. Could could right, make a right. phone call. No, yeah. what happened was he had a lot of laundry to do. You know, being a 14, 14 years older than what he was at the time, he was at a party. Okay, he was at okay. like some some work function or something like that, and he was talking to somebody that that is in law enforcement, maybe FBI or something. I don't know the the background. I think he was a marshal. Okay. The person he was talking to. And he tells somehow the Jacob Wetterling case comes up in conversation. Yeah. And he says to the marshal, he says, those are our people though. Right. I mean, think about every time we're at a bar, it's so great when a, a true crime thing actually comes up. Then we don't have to feel like a weirdo. Uh, he, he's in this conversation. Okay. And he says, you know, I was, I lived in the area. And as a matter of fact, I, I heard the call go out on the police scanner. So I drove to the location I actually saw the the bicycles and I told a deputy that night, you know, did have you guys, do you guys know about these bicycles over here? Should, do you need any help? Should I get you the vi- bicycles? Right, should, right. Uh, should I show you where they are? And he said that the deputy told him, we are aware of the bicycles. Uh-huh. We know what's going on. It'd be best if you just go home. Right, right. So he went home and he was never contacted. They didn't take his name, phone number, anything to contact right, right, him right. in the future. And they should have. Exactly. And, and he says that, uh, you know, I just assumed that everything I knew they knew. Mm -hmm. And so I never contacted. That's not a bad assumption. And the marshal says, well, you know, this, this case is ongoing. It's a cold case. It seems like nothing. What you're telling me sounds like not a whole lot of information here, Mm -hmm. but you should contact the police and talk with them. At least tell them what you know. And he actually said, you know, I, I, and maybe it was because of the, uh, you know, because of how he was greeted with it that night that he felt uncomfortable calling the uh, police department yeah. discussing this with them. And the marshal said, well, I know some guys over there and let me arrange this for you because the marshal thought that this was something that the sheriff's department needed to hear. Well, and I, we've all been there. We've all done that where we get pulled over by a cop and their attitude is bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and again, I, you know, I, I, I'm all for law enforcement. I'm all for law enforcement doing their job. They're great people, but let's just remember, serve and protect. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you're signing up for. Not to harass, not to, you know, try to teach everybody a lesson, not to, you know, if you were picked on in high school, there should be a rule. If you were picked on in high school, 
you shouldn't be able to be a cop. There should be a rule about that. But uh, no, it's it's to serve and protect, and, and you don't have to serve and protect with a negative attitude towards people. And if this guy, you know, yeah, maybe they thought, okay, we got this crime scene, and we don't want anybody to mess it up. I get that. Go home, please. But this guy obviously thought, well, for 14 years, you know, well, these guys gave me some attitude, and they probably know what I know. Yeah, so what or, does it matter? Or at the very least, they don't. They don't care. You know, they the the information I have is not valuable to to right. them or their investigation. So, what am I? You know, right, right. Um, just a nice reminder. Just be nice to people. That goes for everybody. Just try to be kind. Okay, don't don't be don't be walking around like a dick face. You know. Well, and if if what the captain says should be true, if you pick on every kid in your school, if you don't grow up to be the police officer, then nobody is allowed to be a police officer. (laughs) Um, So again, the man, the first thing that the sheriff's department, they want to know are, you know, what kind of tires did you have on that vehicle? Do you remember? Because we have a photograph of the tire. We have tire tracks. And if we can track down a model that's similar or the same of that tire, we can, we can conclude that you were the one that left the tire tracks here. Now, because the impressions were, were so, they they constantly say fresh tire tracks. Well, but what I one thing I think that they mean on that is not that they were just recently left there. That on top of that, they probably came from newer tires given the amount of the impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, because their follow-up question when he says, I don't remember what kind of tires I was driving on, they say, well, do you remember if they were old or new tires? And he said, I can tell you that I had recently replaced the tires on that vehicle. Okay. So now they believe that this vehicle, this accounts for the vehicle that Dan Rassier had seen, the one that they were kind of looking for. You know, they were looking, even though they had questioned Dan and made him feel like a suspect, right, they were right. still looking for this vehicle. Now they now they believe they've tracked down this vehicle, and this man is innocent. He's he's not the person that took Jacob. So they can account for several things that happened that night that they were looking for. And since they could clear this man of any wrongdoing, this now meant that they believed that the abductor had most likely fled on foot with Mm. Jacob. So this now means that we are going to look for not only a suspect that is local, but someone that is so local that he would have had the ability to take Jacob into the attacker's home, into his home and or property and had the ability to conceal Jacob. So once again, the sheriff's department has Dan Rassier in their sights. Dan lived probably the closest to the abduction site than anybody. He had no alibi for his whereabouts or right. uh, for what he to vouch for what he was doing prior to him talking with the police that night. Right, uh, and he he not only you know he was left a home alone that night. And furthermore, according to his own story, he's roughly a quarter of a mile from the crime scene. Right. So if, if the suspect left on foot, then, I mean, here's our closest suspect. Yeah. So once again, Dan Rassier is finding himself in the hot seat of this investigation. Right. And I, and I get all that, but there's another part of me that, that just goes, okay, well, you found tire prints and that was not of the, the suspect's tire prints, but that doesn't mean that he, did, he fled on foot. Mm-hmm. I mean, like maybe you just don't have the tire prints. Well, maybe the person never left the road. Maybe the person just put on their blinkers, walked out, grabbed the kid, put him in the car and took off. 
Well, there's been a lot of people to throw scrutiny at the sheriff's department because of this issue, you know, because now we've taken Dan Rassier and not only was he once somebody that we were interested in talking to regarding this investigation Mm -hmm. and regarding this crime. Now he seems to be the most likely person. Now the sheriff's department has made him a, let's call a suspect. They never call him a suspect, but they're treating him. Yeah, but he was a suspect, right? They're treating him like a suspect. suspect. But not only that, it seems like they've narrowed their vision to the point where they're, they're honing in on Dan Rassier completely. Right. And what I said in the first place is the cops need to, you know, pick a path, pick a direction, run as fast as you can until you hit the brick wall. So 14 years ago, they didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't, you know, they, they should have looked at Dan from every angle to as much as they could. And he's either our guy or he's not a suspect. I absolutely agree with that yeah. statement. They should have done that in the beginning. The problem is that they didn't. Now, where I don't fault them and where I don't think we should have thrown scrutiny at the sheriff's department is because mm-hmm. the, a lot of people were saying, you know, well, a new sheriff took over about the same time. And so the new sheriff says that we're we're going to spend a good amount of time on in 2003 yeah roughly around that time so the the new sheriff kind of you know they've set their sights on the investigation now on dan rassier but here's here's where i think that they're fine to do that because no no, it's fine because because here's the thing like you said run till you hit a brick wall Unfortunately, they didn't do things properly in the beginning, in my opinion, right, right, right. but they've been hitting a brick wall for the last 14 years. Right. So then what you do is you have, you know, new sets of eyes. These are probably, you can assume that there's some new investigators on this case by this time. Mm-hmm. You have new this, technology. You have this person that comes forward that can account for this ghost car that Dan Rassier says he saw. Mm-hmm. So now you're pouring back over the information and you're going, what did we miss? What did we get mm-hmm. wrong? Well, we thought there was a car. Maybe we've got this whole thing wrong the whole time because there was not a car. Right. Maybe yeah. this guy's been right under our thumb the entire time and we just didn't even we didn't see him because we assumed there was a car. Now we have this new information. I don't blame them for for changing no, no, gears here and pivoting and, well, and sometimes focusing you, on Dan Rassier. Sometimes you go down that path and you hit a brick wall. And then sometimes you get a little more information and you go down that path again and when you hit that brick wall it collapses and then you know and that's where your suspect is i mean we see that time and time again but yeah it just seems like they um but it's you know small town 1989 seems like they just made uh you know some mistakes here and there you know and and that's going to look we're human so we're going to make mistakes you know Mm -hmm. not every not every podcast that we put out is perfect i mean most of them are but uh you know, especially this one, but yeah, so I can't blame them too much. I mean, I'm sure their intentions were to get this writing, to get this solved. All right. So, I mean, we're only at 2003 in this case and, and the, we know that there's more information that came out in 2016 and a whole bunch of stuff between that. Right. Right. So we got, can you stick around for a little bit and we'll just, uh, knock out another podcast. I, real got, quick? I got an hour or so. All right, so we got a recommended reading for this? Uh, Yes, I want to recommend this week uh, Hometown Killer. Um, This is a similar story to the one that we're telling today. Um, This is about a case that took place in the early 90s in Springfield, Ohio. Um, The author calls it the All-American Town, much like where Jacob was from. Uh, This is the Hometown Killer, a peaceful community stalked by a remorseless Slayer. Mm. And you can pick that up by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com. Click on the recommended page. You will see 
Hometown Killer, as well as all of our other recommended books. We will be right back tomorrow in the garage reporting. Yeah, more. well, yes. Well, we're going to do it tonight. Well, we're gonna, we're going to record it tonight. I'm going to. I'll ha- I'll try to have it edited by tomorrow. Sounds good. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't let it. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aww. let me just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 